Well, there are many stories in our Bible, as well as in history and even today, of people who started off bad, but ended up good. Maybe somebody was not a believer and became a believer. And so we talk about these stories as maybe redemption stories or conversion stories. And there's a number of them. You know, I remember last year I shared a story of David Berkowitz, the son of Sam's serial killer, who became a born-again Christian. Or we can look at others even at a more popular level. Of You look at stories of people who started off not well, but then maybe came to know Jesus. So you look at stories like Lee Strobel. You look at stories like Rosaria Butterfield. You look at stories like Wesley Hill. You look at stories like Jackie Hill Perry and a number of others, right? And these stories often encourage us and even keep us hopeful for maybe those we're praying for, uh, people that we still uh, hope the best for. But there's also opposite stories, right? There's also those that start off great in life. Maybe there's, they, have the, they, they have the story that there is never a time they didn't remember being in church or knowing or hearing about God, but they don't end well. And so those stories often warn us as well as humble us. And those stories even today sometimes are called deconversion stories. Or I even a couple days ago heard there's a new term out, deconstruction stories. And so there's those that started off well, but then they don't end well. And so you think of certain examples and stories of people like Bart Ehrman, Jen Hatmaker, Derek Webb, Joshua Harris, Link Neal, and many others that have stories like that, even to this day. Well, the story we're going to look at this morning is a story of the latter. We're going to look at a young man who started off great. He was given a good name. He came from a good family. And all things looked great. And he was doing well for a long time. And the Lord made him prosper. But he didn't end well. And I think his story has a lot for us, not just individually, but even us as a community. Even us here collectively as a church. And so if you have your Bibles, open up with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Six, and we're going to look at the story of Uzziah. And as you find your way there, we're going to start off in verse 1. Second Chronicles 26, verse 1. It says, And all the people of Judah took Uzziah. Now the name Uzziah, as I mentioned, was a good name. It means the Lord my strength. That his life literally started off with a good name, didn't it? From parents that you, you can just imagine, I know we have some that we're about to do baby showers for that are expecting their first child. And you can imagine them holding their baby boy and saying, may, the, may you always find your strength in the Lord. So these parents gave their kid a wonderful name, the Lord my strength. And the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. So here we have a high school sophomore who's about to become the one of the longest reigning kings in Israel's history. And if you know your Bibles well, you'd also note that the first half of his reign as king of Israel was when his father was away in Samaria held captive. So imagine his father is held captive and is ultimately murdered, which if you read 
chronologically, the end of chapter 25 talks about him being murdered. But then you see it says they made him king instead of his father. Well, it's not chronological a sense of right after his death and he was murdered. But what they're saying right here and how you can say made him king instead of his father, he was ultimately murdered, which is what 20, chapter 25 tells us about. But then right here you'd say they're faced with an unprecedented problem. They have a king, but for all practical purposes, he's not on the throne. And they need to have somebody there. So at this point, before his death, they decided Uzziah needs to take the throne. And so literally, that's why it says, in the place of his father, which some of your translations like the NAS and others say, in the place of his father. His father's still alive, but he's being held captive in Samaria. So here's this high school sophomore Well, his dad's being held captive somewhere else that becomes king. He gets to sit on the throne. Well, look at verse 3. It says, When he was 16 years old, he began to reign. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all his father Amaziah had done. So this boy starts off on the right track, doesn't he? And some commentators even think it's really a testimony to his mom. You might say, well, wait a second, why is that? Well, his father didn't do too well. And neither did a number of people in his family. A number of them didn't end well. And so she probably told Uzziah some of the great stories in, her, in his family tradition. So she probably told him of his great-great-great-grandfather Jehoshaphat and how he turned to the Lord and he ended well. She probably told him of his grandfather Joash and the temple repairs that he had done but probably not that other stuff. She probably was able to tell him about Amaziah and some of the things that, boy, look at the military victories your father had while he was seeking the Lord, but maybe didn't emphasize the bad things that he did. And so even though two of the three that I just mentioned ended bad, this verse can say that because he could still mimic them in those moments that they did well, right? So he can do those things. Just like when Paul says, mimic me as I mimic Christ. Well, that didn't mean Paul was perfect or sinless. It just means in those moments when I'm mimicking Christ, you should mimic me, right? And we should all be able to say the same thing. We should be able to parents to the kids, mimic me as I mimic Christ. That doesn't mean we're perfect. It means what? In those moments, in those times, I read my Bible and Christ knew his Bible. So should you, right? In those type of things. Well, you see that here. So likely he started off with not just parents who named him well, but a mom who raised him right. But even though there is respect for a family tradition, what must all of us do? we got to make it our own, don't we? And so look at verse 5. He set himself to seek God. So he owns it. He doesn't just get to keep staying in his mommy and daddy's shadows. He's got to own it. He's got to have his own faith, doesn't he? He's got to have his own relationship with God. I love how one commentator put it. He says, the tradition of the past is of no value without the convictions of the, at the present. And so Uzziah dedicates his heart to follow God. But the verse doesn't stop there, does it? It has an extremely important detail that I really want us to look at for a moment or two and really focus on, not just for us individually, but even us as a, as a church, and especially in our day. It says what? He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. Now, there's about 30 Zechariahs in the Bible, and we have no clue which one this is, right? 
But that's not the point. It's not which Zechariah is it. We do know it's not the minor prophet. That would have been a different time period. And we do know that it was a Zechariah that was within his own community there in Jerusalem, which is interesting when you think about it, because you think, why wouldn't he, if he was going to seek friendship, if he was going to seek guidance, spiritual guidance in his life, why wouldn't he have gone to the prophet Amos, who was prophesying during the days of Uzziah, if you know your Bible, right? They both grew up, they're both Southerners, they both speak the same language, they both have the same background. Sure, Amos is now up north, he's gone up north, so they would only be able to periodically see each other, but that's not what discipleship is, is it? To just periodically talk to somebody, to just occasionally get to visit with somebody. Yet, can that happen to us? We either maybe don't have somebody in our own community who we're in discipleship with, who we're doing life together with, who we're maybe even being mentored by. Or we only have close friends that we periodically see face to face. You know, in fact, I hear this all the time as a pastor. It goes something like this. Hey, are you been able to plug in here, find community? And the person says, you know, uh, actually my close friends and who I seek spiritual advice from, I already have those in my life. Oh, okay, that's awesome. That's great. That's awesome. Did you get to see them often? Well, they're not from around here, right? They're back in China, right? They're over in North Carolina. They're from where I used to be. They're my high school friend that we still stay in touch. Can that, can that happen? Now, now I get it. I too have friends in other locations, right? We all have friends that we've, we've gone through in different stages and in, in periods of our life, and that's okay. But I think what we're seeing here is it's not just that we have people that we can always go to. It's great to have people we can always call. I have a lot of friends in different locations that I can always call and I know they're going to be there for me. But what we're going to see here is we're actually not in each other's day-to-day life as God wants and even commands. Do you all remember the scripture reading we just read a few moments ago? There was the command in there that... He gives to the local community of believers. And what did it say? Exhort each other every day. Well, how can you exhort someone every day if you're not in their daily lives? That oftentimes we do like the person that we can call periodically or when we feel that there's a need. But actually, Uzziah would say, I need somebody within my community. I need to be in a discipleship relationship locally in here. And so again, those friends that are in other locations, other, other churches, that's, that's fine and well, but they don't really get to see all that they need to see in order to keep us accountable, in order to exhort us every day. And why, does, why did the author of Hebrews tell us that we should exhort each other every day? Well, he tells us, so that we would not fall away from the living God or be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That sometimes those people that we know in other places and locations, do they know you weren't here for the last month at church? Did they know that you've decided to do this in your life or make this decision? Or do they see your, your parenting week in and week out? Do they see your involvement in serving the church? So there's a number of things they can't do. And I think this story, as we're going to see, because Uzziah knew he not only needed someone from his community, but so so was his spiritual welfare attached to Zechariah, that Scripture highlights it for us. That it's because of this verse that we can presume that had his friendship continued, because it says in the days of Zechariah, 
what's about to happen in a few verses would not have happened. And we've seen this all throughout Scripture. That when did Satan go after David? When he was alone on a rooftop. When did Satan go after Judas? Was it when he was around the other 12 or the 11? No, when he was alone. When did Satan go after Peter? When he was alone on the streets, not around the others, and he denied Christ three times. As a matter of fact, when did Satan go after Jesus? When he was alone in the wilderness. When do you think he'll go after you next? When we're alone and not in fellowship that we're supposed to have in our life. We're supposed to be in community. So another source of his strength was the believing community God put around him. And look at how the verse continues. It says, And as long as he sought the Lord, what does it say? God made him prosper. God made him prosper. Now, I could just ask for a show of hands, but I don't need to. You know, 11 out of 10 people want to prosper, right? We all want to prosper. If I said, how many of y'all just want to have a great year in 2022? How many of y'all want to prosper? How many of y'all want God's hand to be on your life this year? Every one of you will raise your hand, myself included. So you can even put a little note right here. This is what can happen if we trust and follow the Lord is what? He can make us prosper. And so let's look at just a few details, because it doesn't just say he made him prosper. It tells us, how did God make him prosper? Look at verses 6 through 15. 6 and 7, he built cities. God helped him against the Philistines, the Arabians, the Meunites. So at this point, we're like, go Uzziah. Things are going well as he's seeking the Lord. In verse 8, his fame spread. His reputation is good when he's seeking the Lord. His foreign affairs are in order because, again, what did the verse 6 say? God helped him. So at the outset of all these blessings, and there's more, all this prospering, Scripture wants, to, wants you to see it all, but it wants you to know what? It was God who did it. It wasn't a book he read. It wasn't a conference he attended. It wasn't a podcast he listened to. It was God who helped him prosper. Moreover, in verse 9, he built towers and he fortified them. In verse 10, he had large herds. He had farmers and vine dressers. He had fertile lands, for he loved the soil. So his influence and his wealth are increasing as it's extending out. God continues to bless him. And he knew how to delegate. He involved others in the process. And when it says he loved the soil... It wasn't just that he cared about the latest technology. He cared about the most sophisticated armory for, his, for his, uh, his soldiers. He loved God's creation, not just man's. He knew where he came from. Today we might call this a good old boy, right? A good old boy. Go, Uzziah. You're doing well, my friend. Verse 11. What's the first word again? Moreover. Here's another one. That, and I just want to pause. Here's a, here's a little word. Wouldn't y'all like a lot of moreovers in your life? I mean, think about it. She was a wonderful mom. Moreover, she was a great wife. Moreover, she was a blessing to our community. Moreover, right? If someone were to write your biography, wouldn't you like a lot of moreovers? That as we read this, we should also sit there and say to ourselves, where are my moreovers, right? Right? Not just how God's making you prosper, 
But where are you involved? Where are you serving? Where is God using you? Because He's using Uzziah as Uzziah's seeking Him. Moreover, he had army of soldiers fit for war. Verses 12 through 14, these were mighty men of valor, were 2,600, and under their command was an army of 307,500. And Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, and all these other things. That is very interesting. No job was too big, and no person was too small for Uzziah to serve, for Uzziah to help. He took care of all his people. Now at this point, Uzziah should be reminding you of people like David, people like Solomon, people like Jehoshaphat. And in verse 15, he made machines invented by skillful men, and his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Now, that's what you call a good life, amen? God's blessing him. He's seeking after the Lord. And it's not just him. He's involving other people. He's serving other people. That when you're in concert with God, when you're seeking and obeying Him, what do you think God does? He blesses you. And we see it right here. He won battles. He rebuilt towns. He gained a great reputation. He had plenty of livestock. He employed people. He led an impressive art. All these other things. I mean, that's a resume right there, right? Look at Uzziah's resume. Look at his bullet points, his line items, his bio. He's doing well right now. That when the Bible says he sought the Lord and God made, made him prosper, it, it, it meant it. God always holds up his end of the deal, doesn't he? I will bless you. And the proof's right here. Now, if the story stopped there, imagine it was done. And thus was Uzziah's life. We'd have a lot of kids you named Uzziah today, wouldn't we? <laughs> We'd have a lot of kids named Uzziah. As a matter of fact, I probably would have thought of it. You know, I like the Ayas, right? <laughs> but I didn't name any of my kids Uzziah because the chapter doesn't stop right there, does it? Something happens in verse 16. But when he was strong... Uh-oh. Did you catch that? But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. And the rest of the chapter, which is about half the chapter, is devoted to warning us about the danger of becoming proud, self-righteous, big-headed, overconfident. There's a bunch of different synonyms you can use here for what's going on. That when you look at all three kings, his father Joash, Amaziah his father, and Uzziah, there came a day when they decided to reject God and His people, reject seeking the Lord, and to do it themselves, to proceed in their own strength, not the Lord's strength, that they said, you know what, I got this. I remember uh, being in seminary, uh, and uh, there was a gentleman we were going over talking about relying on God was, was the topic that week in our spiritual formation group. And he pulls me afterwards outside of the library, if you've ever been to the Dallas campus, right outside of the library, I'll never forget talking to this guy. And he says, you know, I don't really see how we need to rely on God as much as we talked about in the study today. That, you know, I feel like most days I can go through it with the abilities and strength that I have. You know, like yesterday, I got up, I ate my breakfast, I went to work, I came home, and, and he just talked about his day, and he talked about a number of days. That, you know what, I think I can pretty much do most of that. 
Now, I don't disagree. There might be moments and times where I need to seek the Lord or whatever, but he had a tough time realizing that we needed to rely on the Lord. Well, the verse that popped into my head was, pride goes before destruction, right? But it's interesting, and again, for sake of time, long story short, he winds up failing all his classes in seminary, never returning, and through his really close friend Scott, wind up hearing he lost his, he winds up losing his job, and his marriage is struggling. And I never got to hear the end of that story. But you see those that have that haughty spirit before a fall, that they wind up thinking, "I can do it." Most days, I can do it. Most days, I don't remember praying yesterday, and I made it fine, right? Can we sometimes get into those thought patterns? Can we sometimes think we're doing it in our own strength? And so I remember I was actually teaching on various kings in Israel's history to a church in Alabama. And a guy came up to me afterwards when I, when I talked about Uzziah. He says, you know what? I remember hearing that story one time. Uzziah, he goes, man, he became too big for his britches. And so that's maybe a good southerner way to say about this story. And I thought that'd be a good sermon title, when you, when you become too big for your britches. Well, that's kind of this story right here, right? Now, now don't... don't get this story in the text wrong or, or mishear me today, that doesn't mean that we can't rejoice in the things that God's allowed us to do. It doesn't mean we can't be encouraged in the talents that we have, right? And so um, there are times in our life that we are excited about accomplishing something, and that's okay. That's well and good. You know, there's actually a, a chapter in uh, Screwtape Letters um, where C.S. Lewis talks about true humility. And he talks about, just to give you the gist of it, he talks about being able to get in a point in your life where you could be a man who creates the most wonderful cathedral and to be able to stand and be in awe of that wonderful, wonderful cathedral, whether or not it was you or someone else who built it. That that's okay. That you built that and you can stand in awe. Look what God allowed me to do with my gifts, talents, and abilities. That we can rejoice. That true humility can say, this is a great work whether or not I was the one that did it or not, that ultimately we want to get to the place where we can love ourselves as God wants us to. Well, the text goes on specifically to say what caused Uzziah's destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So that was a ceremony that, was, that belonged to the priests alone. That no one else, not even the king, was to venture out and offer incense in the temple. And it's interesting when you compare a number of the, the kings. Uh, I'll, I'll just do one real quick here. When you compare him with Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat had a difficult time saying no to people. Uzziah has a difficult time saying no to himself. Can we think of both types of people? There are some people that can't say no to others, and there's some people that can't say no to themselves. Uzziah is somebody who can't say no to himself. He wants to do it? Do it. I'm in a position. I can have the authority. I can do these things. But it gets worse. Watch this in verse 17. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. Can you imagine that? 81 priests tried to stop him. That's typically a sign you're not doing well. When 81 priests come knocking on your door, 
and telling you you're not doing too well right now. That's a sign. So you might want to write that down if 81 priests ever... You know, I'd be scared if just a couple fellow believers came to my door and said, Brian, you're not doing too well right now. Right? But he's got 81 priests, men of valor, trying to stop him from doing something. Trying to point out sin in his life. And look what they did. Look what they said in verse 18. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord. Now, I'm not sure if you picked up on that, but that's some pretty bold words to say to a king, right? Get out of here, you've done wrong. Imagine saying that to the CEO of your company. Imagine saying that to the president of a country. Imagine saying that to first in command of a military unit. You've done wrong, get out of here. But they need to address the biggest issue in his life, no matter what happens to them, don't they? The biggest issue in his life is his relationship with God. This is going to bring God no honor. You have sinned against God Almighty by doing this. They don't discuss his business ventures. They don't discuss his military strategies. They don't get into all of his building projects. They deal with the issue that is most important, that is core to all of what's about to be his problems, and that's his relationship with the Lord, that he got to the place where he thinks no one is above me. Can somebody in their mid-50s get to a place where they think no one's above them? Because they, they now have experience. They now have power. They now have authority. And of course, not just people in their mid-50s, right? Can we all get to that place thinking, I know these things. I've done it for this long. I have power. I have authority. I have whatever it is. And we get to the place. I mean, I'm the king, not you, is what Uzziah can say, right? It reminded me of something Napoleon once said. He says, I am no ordinary man. The laws of morals and of customs were never made for me. And some people get there. Whether or not you'd say that, whether or not Uzziah would say, I'm above God, but can we live that way? Can we start living in a way that says no one's above us or that we answer to nobody? I know some of you all have shared that you've been listening to a podcast, a very well-known podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Can there even be pastors today in our day that get to the point where they're accountable to no one? Can they get to the place where they think, I'm untouchable? They can. Go listen to that series, I guess, right? But to know that story, Mark Driscoll, well-known. I mean, all these gifts, these talents as a communicator, as a church, and things are going well. And he gets to the point where no one can tell me what to do. The buck stops with me. Well. And so these priests have come to Jesus' meeting with Uzziah. And they do it for his benefit. They did it to protect him from pain and suffering. Is that what oftentimes people prayerfully are doing for us? They're not doing it for themselves. They're doing it for us. You're not headed down the right path. I've seen it in history. I've seen it in the Bible. You're not heading in a good direction. You're not in a good place right now. However you want to word that, right? That somebody comes and says something like that. Now, how do you think Uzziah is going to take this? How do you think Uzziah is going to take open rebuke from 81 men of valor? Do you think he's going to think of maybe some passages like 
Proverbs 27 that will say, open rebuke is better than love that is concealed. You know what? They must love me. They love me enough to tell me I'm not going in the right place. Do you think you'll think of the next verse that's going to say, wounds from a friend can be trusted. You know what? These must really be my true friends. They're telling me what I need to hear, even though I didn't realize it. Maybe I was blinded to it. Or as the rest of the verse says, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Are they going to say, it's okay, everybody sins. It's okay, nobody's perfect. It's okay, you're the king. Are those the kisses we want in our life? Somebody telling us what we want to hear. Well, not just what would Uzziah do, but what would we do? Or what have we done? It's a rhetorical question, right? No testimonies this morning. But have we gotten to that place where somebody has a difficult time keeping you accountable? Somebody has a difficult time asking you the questions. Do you double down? Do you make excuses? Do you sit there and put up walls to somebody? Or maybe hang around them less, right? When certain conversations go deep. Those are just questions for all of us to ask when we look at not just what mentorship and discipleship looks like, but also looking at the story of Uzziah. Because look at how he did respond in verse 19. Then Uzziah was angry. And the word there is very strong. And I like that some translations put the word enraged because the Hebrew word there is strong. So I like that. He was enraged. He gets defensive. You ever met somebody that gets defensive? (laughs) They resent someone criticizing them. Don't point your finger at me. I'm Uzziah, not you, right? I'm the king. You're just a priest. Can people get to that point? And again, whether or not they use those words, can their posture be that way? Can they get defensive? Yeah, but you, and they start doing the whole, but you, right? But you've done this, but you, and, and they want to deflect, or they want to blame shift, or they want to do all these other things, but he just gets angry. He just gets angry. Now, I get it. None of us like to hear from other people, especially people that we might respect, some spiritual leaders come into us to talk to us about something that they've seen in our life. None of us want that to happen, but are any of us above it? Are any of us above somebody just pulling us aside and saying, brother, sister, you're not going in the right direction. You're not going in the right way. Or you know, when you said that, there was a better way to word that. You know what? You're right, (laughs) right? And for all of us, myself included, we want to say, how has that ever turned out for you if you've doubled down, when you get defensive, when you point the finger elsewhere? It doesn't go well, does it? Look how it worked out for Uzziah. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead. In the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord, by the altar of incense. So is the Lord going to allow Uzziah to mock him? Not for long, is he? He's not going to allow this to take place, not only where it's taking place, but who it's taking place by. Is God partial to titles, to, to your status, to your title for, for what you've accomplished, for what you've done? There is no partiality in God. And so he's going to deal with him just like he did Moses, just like he did David, just like he did uh, uh, Nadab and Abihu, And just like he's doing with Uzziah, none of us are above this. 
And so the question then again, as we always, as we're working through the Bible and we start to reflect on our own life, is He going to allow me to do that? Is He going to allow me to get to a place? Is He going to allow a pastor of a 20,000, whatever it was, 30,000 person congregation to get above that? He wasn't. And He doesn't. He might be gracious for a period of time. Hopefully you'll listen to those warning shots. Hopefully you'll listen to those people that are trying to speak into your life. But then look at verse 20. And Azariah, the chief priests, and all the priests looked at him. And behold, he was leprous in his forehead. Now, I can only imagine the disappointed looks on the faces of 81 men. You can imagine Spielberg or some director doing a movie scene where they do a panoramic over the looks to Uzziah. And I don't, you know, some might have been surprised and bewildered, but I think there was a lot of just disappointment. You ever had somebody just kind of close their eyes, shake their head? Do you have some just say, oh, Uzziah. And you think all these men in the looks on their face, all the priests looked at him. And then they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. Did he deserve it? He did. He did. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. And that's why we have verse 21. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. Now just imagine that. I really want that to sink in for all of us today. Ten years of his life in that condition because of his pride. Ten years of his life wasted because of his arrogance. Uh, Do any of y'all want to waste a day of your life, a week of your life? A year of your life? A decade. Ten years of his life. For 40 years he sought the Lord. God made him prosper. God blessed him. But now he finds himself disqualified. And being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham his son was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. He can't even show up to work or go to church. That's how bad it was. What a miserable way to live or to really just exist the last 10 years of his life. Many of y'all know I've spent a lot of time ministering to those that have been down and out in the prison system. And how many testimonies and people that I hear of talking about wasted time and wasted years. Many are coming out of prison in their 30s, 40s, and 50s saying, you know what, I wasted the first half of my life. Of course, assuming the Lord gives them a full life. And we're not guaranteed we live to 60, if not 70, or more. But even if they do, they wasted half their life. And he wasted 10 of his life. And it says, Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from first to last, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, wrote, And Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings. For they said he is a leper, and Jotham his son reigned in his place. Now that last phrase, in the burial fields that belonged to the kings, means not in the royal tombs where he should have been buried, but just out there in the field. 
He doesn't even get the proper burial of a king. And he was the second longest reigning king in Israel's history. And that's a sad story, isn't it? That's a sad story no matter what day and age you live in. But that happens all too often today, doesn't it? You know, I don't know if you've heard in the news over the past few months, all the metaverse and all the virtual reality stuff that's coming. All the people that are selling what they can to buy a certain space in that area, even Wall Street Journal. I mean, everyone's running stories on this thing. Well, I'm not here to predict anything. I'm not here to comment on metaverse and all that other stuff. But for some reason, I will share this. It reminded me of something that took place, I think it was back in 2008, 9, 10, somewhere in there, right after the first Avatar movie came out. That right after the first Avatar movie came out, and which is still the highest grossing film of all time, still above the Avengers and all the other movies, right? Right after that, many news outlets began running, running stories such as these. How to overcome post-Avatar depression syndrome. How to cope with avatar-induced depression. Advice for dealing with the intangibility of Pandora. How to counsel people through the avatar story. Subtitle, depression and suicide. And so they ran all these stories because as one psychiatrist and well-known medical director put it, virtual life is not real life and it never will be. But this is the pinnacle of what we can build in a virtual presentation so far. It has taken the best of our technology to create this virtual world, and real life will never be as utopian as it seems on screen. It makes real life seem more imperfect. And so in order to cope with all the virtual reality back in 2009 or so, here were their top suggestions for how you can battle your feelings of depression after seeing movies like Avatar. Play Avatar video games. Download the movie soundtrack. Join an avatar chat room. It's funny because it's true and scary, isn't it? That's some of the top advice to people that are depressed because of their experience of a world that now when they look out at ours, they think it, it's dry, tower, taciturn, dark, gloomy, and they don't know how to deal with it. The more isolated we are becoming is the more destruction will come. And that's what we see in the story of Uzziah. Discipleship or destruction. It's another reason why discipleship is so important and why we need each other. Would you all pray with me? Father, we need each other. We look at a story like Uzziah, and it warns us. It humbles us that none of us are above it. That just as Paul would say, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. May none of us come with this arrogant, prideful heart lest we fall. And so, Father, I just say a blanket prayer right now that everyone in the hearing of these, this text and the hearing of these words, Father, would examine themselves as we're even about to get into a time of examining ourselves. And so, Father, we pray, give us an extra measure of discernment, an extra measure of love and community, of being able to live out and exhort one another every day 
so that we wouldn't fall away from you, so that we wouldn't succumb to the deceitfulness of sin. And so, Father, as we're immersing ourselves in your word this morning of the scripture reading before, the text now, and even as we reflect, as we go forward on your word, Father, help us be a people of your word that's living it out in community as we are discipling, as we are teaching everyone to obey all the things that you have taught. And so, Father, be with us now. Help us to examine ourselves as well as our attitudes to each other. And I pray that this would be a wonderful year of even revival, that we can bring others along, that they will not have to get the advice of the world to just listen to soundtracks, be in chat rooms, and play more video games. But that, Father, we can put their hand to the plow. We can get them involved. That, Father, they can be loved on. They can be strengthened. They can be encouraged. And they can prosper like Uzziah did when he was seeking you. And so help us to not waste our time, but redeem our time for all the days that we have ahead as you choose. And so we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.